Well, good morning. Good morning to everyone in the venue and here in the auditorium. My name is Adrian, and I'd uh, love to connect you up to the service if we haven't yet met. Uh, we are so glad that you're here today. We were planning on giving a capital uh, opportunity update related to our from here to there five-year strategic plan, and uh, we'll talk about that next week. But we just felt like, um, though we had done the work to give that update this morning, uh, we just don't want to do it this morning. Uh, there's been too much going on. And, uh, you know, you make your plans, but your plans are not God. And so we want to put that away for right now, and uh, we'll come back to that next Sunday. For this morning, just for a few moments, I am going to give a message, though, this morning in Two Roads, in our series, Two Roads. But before we do, I want to give you uh, a quick update about our church's response to what has happened across our state over this past week. It's been quite a week, hasn't it? Oh my, oof, heartbreaking. You've seen the pictures and um, many of you have experienced it yourself as uh, so many across our state and even across our county and some in our own community, certainly in Gibbon have been terribly affected by these floods, and uh, it's been heartbreaking. I've personally been praying for our farmers and our ranchers and uh, for so many others that I know who have taken in a ton of water and some that have had their houses compromised. And uh, so we as a church, we want to respond with the love of Christ when something like this happens. And we know that whatever we do is going to be relatively small, and we need to trust the Lord for what we cannot do, but we also know that we as the body of Christ are called to do something, aren't we? And so, um, this is what we're going to do here in the next uh, couple weeks. If you're looking for an opportunity to participate, an opportunity to volunteer and assist, we have had a few families in our church who are looking at potential home loss. Um, it's, it's not determined yet, um, but certainly looking at disastrous flooding. And uh, we've been in touch with them. Staff was in, st in touch with dozens and dozens of families throughout the church last week, just checking in to be sure people are safe. Uh, but we have had uh, a few different families who have had devastating damage in their homes, and then others in the community as well. And fortunately, we have, um, there, there's a ministry that was started here by a man named Michael Bryan called Restore Ministries, and Mike uh, is a member here at Carnegie Free, but he started this ministry in concert with a number of people in this community, and they respond whenever there's a disaster, primarily in the Midwest region. They responded to floods and tornadoes and all different kinds of things, and even recently, uh, as this past fall, they responded to tornado, in, or not tornado, hurricane in Florida. Uh, but now, they're looking to respond here in our own community. And they have the organizational structure in place. And so, uh, our local community engagement ministries, which is led by Justine Shedder, is partnering with Restore to help provide volunteers to work together. And Restore has the organizational framework in place, and they connect with many different entities across the Midwest who are already supplying 
uh, various supplies that are necessary for the cleanup in a number of different places. And so if you would like to help, there's great opportunity for, for you to do so. And Mike and Restore Ministries will have a kiosk out by the Journey Wall right after church service today, after both services, and you can go talk with them. You can sign up there at the Journey Wall or by paper. You can share what skills or what tools you might have to offer. And uh, in the weeks to come, the jobs will become more clear. But there's at least a few homes that, that Mike knows he's already going to be working with. And here's some ways that Mike has encouraged us to come alongside and help him in this effort. Uh, of course, that we all can pray. We can volunteer in a variety of ways. We can connect with those in need. Uh, there's equipment that is needed and skilled workers though, that are needed. Right now, it's kind of drying things out. And there's need for big dumpsters and lots of hands to help pull out stuff that's been ruined from a number of different homes. And so, again, you can sign up for that if you'd like to give to Restore Ministries and the work that they're going to be doing, which will cost a lot of money in these coming weeks. You can do that out there as well. You can connect with, with, with Mike, and you're, you're certainly ha welcome to do that. That'd be wonderful. And Justine is an organizational genius as well. And so she's going to help with the organizational work on this um, such that we can work together. Any questions? Okay. Well, uh, I for one am grateful to be here in Nebraska with you because Nebraskans are such hardy, resilient, persevering, helpful people. And this is an opportunity for us to do and to be what we believe. So, I wonder if you would just take a moment with me and, and pray for those who are affected, pray for our local uh, farmers and ranchers, and uh, pray for those who have lost much. Would you join me? Father, we, we thank you that we can come to this warm, safe, and dry place today. It is a sanctuary in the midst of horrible storms that have covered our land this past week. And so many stories that have been so heartbreaking. This is a good place to be right now. And I thank you for all the friends and family here today in the auditorium and in the venue. Those who may be watching online. And we thank you, Lord, that we can be here in this place and we can gather together and hug each other and hold hands and, and know that you're, you're with us and you're for us and we're with each other when uh, we endure tragedy. And nothing makes us take stock in life of what matters most than tragedy. And so we pause here today and we give thanks for the safety of our friends and our families. And we thank you, Lord, that we have this great community to be a part of. And we thank you, God, that you are our refuge and our strength, a very present help in any time of trouble. And so we ask your help, Lord, for those who have lost much in their homes. We ask, God, that you would personally preserve these homes, that uh, we're not sure if they'll be preserved. We ask for your help there. We pray for the farmers and ranchers that are doing everything they possibly can to, uh, to preserve their cattle, and we ask that they would be. And uh, we know that's their livelihood, but also they care so much about those animals. And so we ask, God, that you would help them. And our hearts go out to them as they care so much about these animals that they are responsible for. 
And we pray, Lord, for their land as well, that you would help them as they move forward to planting season in the next number of weeks. We ask for our entire state and really this entire region, North Dakota and South Dakota and into Iowa and parts of Colorado that have been affected by uh, floods and horrifying storms over these past weeks. And we uh, pray that you would enable us as the church to come together and provide help in this moment of need, which we know is exactly what you would call us to do. We will not fear, though the earth give way. We will not fear. As the word says, we are to be still and know that our God is God. And we will wait on you and we trust in you with things that we do not know and we cannot control And we ask, God, that you would help us to rise up with power to give love and mercy and kindness and a touch to those who need it here in these days and weeks to come. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that God's people pray together this morning. Amen. Amen. Good morning. I'll be reading from Luke 18, starting in verse 9. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." Thank you, Patrice. That is uh, our word from God this morning as we continue in our series, Two Roads. We're going to spend some time here today looking at that parable of Jesus. And uh, what we're doing here in this series is looking at a couple different options that we have really across all of life. And... uh, We're going to look at these two different roads that are painted by that parable this morning. Uh, One road of pride and another road of humility. Who knows that the uh, narrow road is indeed very narrow? Anyone? (laughs) Especially when you're talking about this. Pride and humility. There's a way that we see in our culture, and there's a way that we see in religion all around us, and it's the easy way, and it's the really wide road, and there's a way that we see from Jesus. And what we're doing here in this series is looking at what it means to follow the hard way of Jesus when cultural religion or our definitions of religion, or the many wide roads are so very easy. We're looking at the harder, narrower, 
oftentimes very uncommon way of Jesus. As we've noted a fair bit over the past number of weeks, the narrow road is narrow not only in culture and large, but it's also increasingly narrow in the church. And so we're going to talk about this narrow road as it relates to humility today. But before we go there, let's just take a moment to review where we've been on these two different roads, these two different paths. In the first week of this series, we looked at these two different foundations. And uh, one foundation is a life that is based on my feelings, a, a, a life that is founded on what I want. The other one is a foundation that's much, much more narrow. It's a foundation on Christ and on Scripture. It's the narrow road. It's the house that's built upon a rock. Then we talked about the importance of the holiness of God and worshiping in light of the greatness of God. And because of God's holiness, so also we want to be holy. We want to be set apart for Him and for His reign in the world. That's the narrow way. The wide way is say, I'm just going to walk with the crowd and do what the crowd does. If you commit yourself to walking with the crowd, you always have tons of people around you. Commit yourself to the narrow way, sometimes it gets a little bit lonely. But that's okay. In the end, you are with God, and it will lead to character and to goodness, which will be far more satisfying. Then we know that there's kind of these two different pursuits. We talked about this last week. There's this pursuit of happiness a pursuit of pleasure, a pursuit of comfort as the main aim of life. And that's everywhere, isn't it? That's probably the dominant worldview in America today. It doesn't have a religious moniker. It doesn't have a religious name. It's just the dominant worldview in America today. I'm going after my happiness. The narrow way is not just going after my happiness. It's going after something much, much deeper than that. It's a pursuit of becoming apprentices of Christ. I'm going to do what he told me to do. I'm going to act as he told me to act. I'm going to try to think. I'm going to begin to speak as he, as he gives me to think and to speak. I'm going to follow him. And I trust as I'm his apprentice, then in the end, there will be something more robust than mere happiness that comes to me. It's joy. Settle peacefulness at being apprentices of Christ. Today, it's two different postures. Once again, the posture of pride and the posture of humility. The narrow road is this portrait that Jesus paints in this parable. Each of these different parables though, that we're looking at in this series, different passages though, that we look at, really provide one of two different ways. And the two different ways though, that we saw here in the parable though, that you just heard were one way of vanity and egotistical pride, and let me show you how great I am, and the other one that's quite narrow of, of humility. Uh, humility has never been easy. But I suppose it's perhaps more difficult today than it's ever been. I, I, I'm not sure of that. I didn't live across all the different generations, so I can't say for sure. But it seems like it might be more challenging today than it ever has been because I don't know if you've noticed, vanity is now prized today in a way that it hasn't been. Let me explain. Give a couple examples. I remember when I was in high school, I was cocky. I'm sorry. I just was. I wish I wasn't, but 
God convicted me of that and brought me to my face. And um, I was a good basketball player. And in one game particularly, I got hot, making bucket after bucket. And I made one that was particularly impressive to yours truly. (laughs) Knocked it down right in the defender's face. And then I glared at him, and I did one of these. And my coach rightly yanked me from the game, called a timeout, pulled me out of the game immediately. And I'll never forget, he looked me in the eyes as a 17-year-old, and he said, act like you've made one before. Ouch. I'll never forget that, okay? My vanity was not encouraged. It was reprimanded as it should be. You contrast that to today. Like, I mean, even quarterbacks who are supposed to be the cool, calm, collected leaders. There's a quarterback by the name of Baker Mayfield who a couple years ago, apologies to Oklahoma fans, in a like semifinal game, he throws a touchdown and he's like slashing his throat in front of the uh, offender, in front of the uh, defenders. And he, he's, I'm, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. Of course, the other team came back and won that game. And defenders came up to him and said, humble yourself, humble yourself. But like, that's prized today. And he became the number one draft pick. And, and, and guys who just slam their chest and, and glare at each other, pound their chest for being the greatest thing since life. I mean, that's, that's prized today. Who could have imagined back in 1969 when Frank Sinatra wrote his famous hymn, I did it my way. Who could have imagined that that would have become the American anthem today? Not the national anthem, but it's like the cultural anthem. And people sing it all the time. They state it all the time. Oh, yeah, I may not have much, but at least I did it my way. Uh, is this, this badge of, of like, that's not, a, that's not something to be prideful of, that I don't need anyone's guidance. I don't need anyone's advice. But that's where we are in our culture. You, you think about social media, right? It's almost impossible to post something about yourself, to post a selfie, and not have this intense sense of um, importance at how many likes and hearts you get. Isn't that right? I mean, it's, it's fueled by it. It's made for that purpose. How much of a sense of self-satisfaction can I get from preening and kind of manufacturing and creating my life to look just, just so? All that is related to the original human sin called pride. I see it in my heart as well. I know it's there, it's there for all of us, it goes back to the very beginning, this is common across all, of human, across all of human nature, it goes back to the original couple and what they struggled with. The only difference here is today, it is encouraged. In previous generations, humility was encouraged and pride was seen as a vice. Today, pride is encouraged. Even so, I don't know about you, when I find someone who really lives with humility, it inspires me like almost nothing else can. Did you have a chance to watch President 
George H. Bush's memorial a few months ago? Did you watch any of that or listen to it? I mean, what a remarkable testimony on so many levels that touched me. That memorial touched me to the point of tears on so many levels. But there's one moment in particular where former sen Senator Alan Simpson got up to speak about his colleague, George H. Bush, who he served with for decades. And he said this, that President Bush was the most decent and honorable person I ever met. He was genuinely humble. And then he gave this line, those who travel the high road of humility in Washington, D.C. are not bothered by heavy traffic. Because the high road of humility is indeed the narrow road. But my, when we see it, it is so inspiring. I, I wonder in your own life, if you look back and you just pause, you look back at your own life and you think of the people who you really respected. Think of one or two right now. My guess is the names that you have in your mind were people of humility. They are people of humility. They're people who commanded a respect because they didn't command it. They were different. This parable is about God's grace toward those who are humble and his opposition toward those who are prideful. And one of the truest words that you find in Scripture, one that is repeated again and again and again, goes like this. God is gracious to the humble, but he opposes the proud. And it's said like that repeatedly in Scripture. And this parable is about his grace to the humble, his judgment to those who are prideful. And it's two people who are not actual people, but they certainly represent crowds of people that lived during Jesus' day. And this scene that Jesus paints absolutely could have happened in his day, just like it could happen in our day as well. The Pharisee was this full-of-himself religious leader. He's the kind of guy that immediately enters into a room and sucks the air out of the room. And most of Jesus' critiques are of religious leaders because God seems to hold a particular annoyance with religious pride. It's just the worst, isn't it? When you're around people who love to show how holy they are, love to tell you how much holier they are than you, love to hold it over your head, it's just the most annoying. And in essence, the Pharisee, uh, as he's depicted in this parable, he prays three different things. Did you notice? As Patrice was reading, he prays, I thank you, God, that I fast two days a week. I mean, listen to this prayer. I thank you, God, that I fast two days a week. I thank you, God, that I give my tithe, the first 10%. And I thank you, God, that I am not like this tax collector. Who exactly is he praying to? In contrast, you see this portrait of a tax man who is a very common person 
in Israel. He's a commoner who was commissioned by the Roman Empire to collect taxes from his fellow Jews. And as such, he was particularly hated by his fellow Jews. Again, a Jewish man commissioned by the Roman Empire to tax his fellow countrymen to take from the Jews what they needed to give because they needed to pay their taxes just like anyone in the Roman Empire did, but it was taking it from their fellow countrymen when they had this tension, this frustration with the Roman Empire. So as a result, the tax collectors were oftentimes hated. You know that feeling that, that you get in your, stu- in your stomach about this time each year as you think about your taxes? You think about the prospect of the IRS coming after you? You, you know, you still probably don't hate the tax man, but you fear him, right? Well, they feared the tax man, and then also beyond that, kind of saw him as, as a traitor. And Jesus says, even so, this, this tax man can come to me. This tax man can be an example to you. And he really shows us the way in this parable. He's also in the temple, and as a Jewish man, he likewise is giving his tithe in the temple. This is required of all Jews to come to the temple and give their tithe there. But while he's there, he worships, and he falls at his knees, and he refuses to look at any other person in the temple. Instead, he bows before the Lord, looks down. He won't even look up to heaven. He doesn't think he's worth looking up to heaven. He bows down and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I want you to notice here in verse 9 and then in verse 14, the reason why Jesus gives that entire parable. Look at verse 9. This is the reason for the parable. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and look down at everyone else. And then the parable. Okay, so he's talking with a group of people who are very confident in their own self-righteousness. They are prideful. They have that spiritual pride. And they look down at everyone else. And he says, okay, to all of you who are now listening to me, I'm going to tell you a parable. Specifically to you who are self-confident, too confident in your own self-righteousness. And then he closes out after the parable with verse 14. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, our culture has kind of reversed What the ancients always understood, that the number one virtue is humility. And the number one vice is pride. But our culture has started to reverse that. Such that we prize being self-made, put together, having it all together kind of man. And we look down at those who realize they're needy. Jesus would have us reverse it back. And so he's given this portrait of these two different roads. And he's trying to paint a picture of a contrast between the humble person and the prideful person that we would look up to humility once again. So I'd like to suggest two different contrasts that he provides here. Here's the first. 
Prideful people look for ways to elevate themselves at the expense of others. This is what prideful people tend to do. They look to elevate themselves at the expense of other people. How can I put myself up here as I put you down here, at least in my mind? Whereas humble people really just aren't thinking that much about themselves at all. Prideful people always fall into the comparison trap. They just naturally look down their nose at other people. They may not say it, but naturally that's what's happening. There's a comparison trap where they're looking down and they're elevating themselves in their mind, getting bloated in their minds compared to others. And it may feel better to be prideful than it feels to be lowly, but all they have is this bloated sense of self that's not any kind of thick or robust joy or peace. It's a thin self-inflation that's easily popped, as Jesus says again and again, that those who exalt themselves will eventually be humbled. Pride goes before the fall. And the illustrations of that are numerous. Here's what the Pharisee says, verse 11. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I thank you so, so much, God, that I'm not like all of them. I'm not like robbers or evildoers or adulterers or even like this tax collector. Have you ever wondered how not to pray? <laughs> like, if you ever wonder, uh, all right, God, what's a good way for me not to get my prayers answered? <laughs> then just highlight verse 11. Okay, because again, he's just praying to himself. The big issue with pride, I think, is this. It, it, it's really two things. Number one, it, it always elevates self. Okay, it puts me on the throne. And then as it's elevating self, it's putting others down. And as it puts down other people, here's what the Pharisee does, and this is what we all naturally do because this is human nature. He puts other people into camps, and then he marginalizes them. Isn't that right? Isn't that exactly what he does? Robbers, tax collectors, evildoers, adulterers. He just marginalizes them, puts them in these camps, can have nothing to do with those kinds of people. That's a real danger, isn't it? We may not have that same list, but we would all have a list, wouldn't we? Oh, God, I thank you I'm not like this adulterer. I thank you, God, that I am not a drunkard. Oh, I thank you, God, that I am not a racist like that racist over there. I thank you, God, that I am not... And you start to look out the window instead of looking into the mirror. As we get prideful, we put people in camps. I'm so glad that we are not a church that does that. I'm so glad we are a church that doesn't do that kind of thing. Because Jesus came for those people too. And contrary to humans, God doesn't rank their sin over there as any higher or lower than my sin. All sins are equal before God in this. They all show us our great need for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, don't they? Whatever the sins might be that someone else struggles with or that you or I struggle with, they show us our need 
for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would fall to our knees and we say, yes, God, I need your forgiveness. And they also show that there is level ground before the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, that at the cross, Jesus died for all of those. And humble people get this, and so they look more into the mirror than they look down at other people's lack of righteousness. And instead they say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And again, this humble man, this tax collector, he shows us the way because he's bowed down in fear of God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And I imagine him saying this breath prayer that we talked about a number of weeks ago, kind of just pounding his chest again and again. Oh, God, please have mercy on me, a sinner. And then perhaps after he, he bows down and he says it a number of times, then he starts to breathe in. Thank you, God, for having mercy on me, a sinner. Thank you, God, for having mercy even on me. Thank you, God, for having mercy on me, a sinner. And anxiety goes out and fear of consequence of sin goes out. Fear of punishment from sin goes out because Jesus has already taken on our sin and we receive the mercy of God. Friends, humility is not this uh, woe is me. Okay, let, let, me, let me clear up a couple uh, confusions here. Humility is not, ah, I stink. I, I can't do anything right. Nobody likes me. I should go eat worms and die. That's not it. That's self-loathing, and Jesus doesn't want that for you either. Humility and confidence can and should be paired together. Humility is this quiet, gentle confidence that says, God's made me, and he did a good job. God made me, and God made you, and he did a really good job. And you don't have everything, and I don't have everything, but I can be content and thankful with what I have and receive that from God. Humility also, I think, includes this sense of satisfaction at doing a job well that doesn't have to turn into this, wow, look at how I did it so much better than other people. It's sad we don't have, just an anecdote, it's sad we don't have another word other than pride for the self-satisfaction that we rightly get when we do a job well. We, we say to that, I have pride in the job that I did. I wish there was a different word that we could use. Maybe it's just, I'm grateful that I had an opportunity to do a job well, and God gave me these gifts to do the job well. Now, I know that's not quite as concise as just say, I'm proud of my work. But you can be proud of your work in that sense, as long as it doesn't lead to looking down. Humility would include that. Again, it's this confidence that is paired together well with the reality that I don't have it all, and that's really okay. And I don't need to tell you about everything I believe. I know that's hard to imagine from a pastor. I don't need to tell you about all my accomplishments. I don't need to talk about myself all the time. You meet a really humble person, they're not talking about themselves all the time. <laughs> a really humble person is not telling you about all the great things that they do. A really humble person isn't constantly posting about all the great things that they do. In fact, a really humble person just isn't thinking all that much about themselves. It's not that they think less of themselves, it's that they think of themselves less often. You see the difference? 
It's not a woe is me, I think less of myself, I'm a doormat. It's a thinking of self and talking of self less often. Because in Christ, humility in Christ frees us from the slavery of narcissism. And it frees us from the slavery of self-loathing, of self-hatred. Wouldn't that be nice to have that level of humility? Anyone with me today? I'd like to have some more of that. Here's another contrast that Jesus paints here in this parable. He says prideful people, he's saying prideful people do spiritual practices in order to earn approval. Whereas humble people do spiritual practices to enjoy God who has already approved. It's this posture. Do I do it in order to earn your approval? Do I do good so that you would notice it and you would perhaps approve of me? That's pride. Do I do it so that God would notice and he would perhaps approve of me? That's poor theology. Or do I do it because he has already approved of me and he loves me and he has created me in Christ Jesus to do good works which he has prepared beforehand that I would walk in them? Is it for approval or is it from approval? You see, the Jews understood that God gave these wonderful spiritual practices that they would do, that they would grow in holiness and grow in a life of enjoying the very presence of God. And so the Pharisee here is doing a number of those different spiritual practices, like tithing and like fasting. It's good to do those practices. What's bad is then using those as a megaphone to broadcast or as a stick to, other, to hit other people with those practices. And that's exactly what the Pharisees well, were doing. So he says, look at me, I fast two days a week. Pharisees would fast every Monday and Thursday for two full days every week. And then they would use that as a stick. You also fast for all food for 36 hours every Monday and Thursday every week. Became their megaphone and their stick. So they took something that was good. Y'all don't believe me. They took something that was good. Y'all don't believe me. Fasting, which is good because it can give us greater self-control and it can awaken our appetite for God to fast from TV or media or social media or food or drink or whatever it is that tempts us so much that's something good. But then they use it as a stick to hit other people and force other people. Or they use it as a megaphone to say, look how much I've done. They the same thing with tithing, right? Tithing is a great practice, wonderful spiritual practice that says, my money is not my own and I will not allow money to get the clutch over my heart. And so I give back to God who has given me 100%. I give back 10% of my first fruits to him for his glorious purposes in the church and in the world. That's what tithing is. It's a good practice. Sometimes people are not able to do that for whatever reason, but that's a goal. That should be an aspirational goal. And that was a required practice of all Jews in the first century. It was way more than 10%, in fact. But that's another story for another day. So here is the, the Pharisee saying, look what I do, 10%. I'm giving it. Let me tell you all about it, God. Let me tell anyone else who's listening all about it. Come on. <laughs> right? Right? Like, isn't that the worst? When people brag about how much they give? Yuck. Okay, so they take these good things, spiritual practices, 
and pervert them from what God intends, this beautiful opportunity for us to grow in reliance on him and love for him and give out of the abundance of what he has given to us and give for his cause in the world and to bless people and to build his church and all those wonderful things that we get to do with the little bit of resources that God gives us, God be praised. And they turn it over and they say, would you look at me? Please, somebody, somebody, look at me. This is the worst. There's a church I heard about a friend here on staff was telling me, I cannot believe this, but it's a true story, that they do um, text giving. Uh, people can give by text. We do that as well. They do online giving. We do that as well. It's just necessary to do that. Why? Because that's the way people are giving today. That's the way people are spending today. So you have to incorporate that today. But this church is doing this, that at the time that they pass the offering bags through the rows, if people give online through their cell phone at that moment, The pastor tells them, if you're giving right now by cell phone, just raise your cell phone in the air. Here's what Jesus would say about that. I tell you the truth. You've received reward in full. You wanted applause? That's all you get. You already got your reward. Then other people looked at you, and they smiled at you, and maybe for two seconds of their lives, they thought you were generous. That's all you get. Jesus says this like four or five times in the Sermon on the Mount. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. No, what he would invite us to do is not to earn anyone's approval, but we engage in beautiful spiritual practices because we are approved and we want to grow in holiness. We want to grow closer to God and these are means to the end of enjoying Him more and more. And so we give because He's given all. We, we fast maybe, but because we want to be with Him more. We serve others because we know that we have been served so much. You see the difference? This is what He invites us to do. And the contrast between those two postures couldn't be any greater. Humble people don't give to their church in order to be noticed. They give because they've received so much. They don't give out of guilt or out of compulsion because uh, someone is guilting them into do it. They do it because God has given and they delight to be a part of loving other people and a part of the mission of God. Paul put it this way in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a... A, cheer, a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Not of compulsion. And that, I tell you, that principle applies to the way you use your energy. It applies to the way we use our time. It applies to the way we use the abilities that God has given. It applies to the way we use finances. Never out of guilt or desire for someone else's approval. Now, people oftentimes wonder, how do I grow in the grace of humility. God talks about it all the time. How do I actually grow in the grace of humility? And I imagine there are hundreds of ways that we can intentionally grow in the grace of humility, but I just want to close by giving one that Jesus repeated again and again and again, and I've hinted at it already, and it's just this. If you do this, I promise, if you do this consistently, and I see this all over this church all the time, because I get to hear the stories. Many of you don't get to hear the stories, but if you do this one thing, I promise you will mortify pride more and more, and you will exalt humility more and more in your life, and it's this, strive 
to serve in secret. Strive to give. Strive to serve. Strive to love in secret. And some people might discover that you did it. And if they did, that's okay. And if they praise you, that's okay. Just say, it's no big deal. I was happy to help. And then move on. And increasingly, it will be no big deal because you're just happy to help. And you're loving them for their own sake, not loving yourself as you give to them. This is how we grow in humility and put to death pride. Just strive to serve in secret. Strive to give in secret. Strive to love in secret so that you're not getting a pat on the back, not for that purpose, but just because you want God to be exalted. There is something in every person in here that really wants to be exalted. And so we have to be very intentional to say, Jesus, please humble me, that I would be more like you. And striving to give in secret is perhaps the most potent way. I'm going to close with this. I read online um, these remarks from Nebraska State Trooper Dan Klemick as he was reflecting on the way Nebraskans will serve in these weeks to come as they respond to the floods that have overcome our state. And I think this gets to the heart of the matter. It's a few paragraphs, but listen with me. Here in Nebraska, we are getting excuse my mouth right now, our butts kicked just a little bit. Not my word. Please don't send me an email, okay? Here in Nebraska, you guys can handle it. We're getting our butts kicked a little bit right now. Now the rest of the nation is going to see why I love my state so much. The looting you will see will be our own pantry closet and checkbooks to help our neighbors. This is the place where if I have a little and you have none, You have some of mine. There's a quiet toughness in our people. This is the place where if you ask for volunteers, you end up having to turn people away because there are too many. This is the place where if your neighbor is hungry and you cook for him, from your very best, you cook from your very best because you know that you are feeding his heart just as much as you're feeding his stomach and that old can of beans in the back just won't do it. This is a place where a farmer gets on his tractor and loses his life because another was in need. And that's just what we do. We're hurting, but we'll do okay together. We're Nebraska. Watch us, America. We will show you how to do this. We will show you what love looks like. How's that sound? I'll just tell you, I'm not from Nebraska, but I have seen that here again and again and again. And it's people saying, I want to serve, I want to live out the great commandment. And I don't care if I get anything 
in return. Not to me. Not to us. But to your name be the glory. So, Father, we pray. Not to me. Not to me, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. Lord, as we serve even this week and in the weeks to come, we ask, God, that you would use our efforts for your honor and for your good, and you would fight against any prideful impulse in us that wants to be noticed and congratulated. But we would just say, I desire to serve out of the love that I have been given by God. Father, as we give to our church, as we give to those who are in need, we give not to receive something in return, but because we believe in the vision that you have called us to. Because we want to love those around us with the love that we have received from Jesus. We want to live with an open hand because you gave us everything when we had nothing. That when we were poor, you made us rich, Jesus, in order that through your grace, we might be rich unto God. And so we sing now together, not to us, oh God, not to us, but to your name be glory now and across all generations. God's people say, amen.